You're listening to the podcast of Shady Grove Presbyterian Church. The purpose of this podcast is to help you grow in your walk with Christ and apply his word to your life. My name is Ben Hine, and I am one of the pastors here at Shady Grove, and I am joined by two other guests today. On my right, as always, I have Senior Pastor Charlie Bale. And then in front of me for the first time, we have uh, Scott Melson, who is one of our ruling elders, one of our lay elders here at Shady Grove, and we're looking forward to hearing from him today. Uh, as a reminder, this podcast, uh, we are doing this as an alternative to some of our other teaching that we are doing here in the church. So we have our Sunday night uh, Puritan class. We also have the uh, Place for You women's study meeting on uh, at least Tuesday mornings, if not Thursdays as well. Uh, our Circle of Friends ministry is also starting back up over Zoom. Uh, and this podcast, uh, the intent of this podcast is just to be a supplement for you, recognizing that it can be hard to get in on those Zoom conversations and just wanting to provide an alternative uh, to your own um, Bible reading, to your own growth during the week. And so hoping that you can listen to this podcast, maybe in the car or while you're doing chores around the house, uh, if you're able to have your Bible open while we're going through these chapters, uh, that would be great as we're not reading the text uh, before here, but uh, trying to make the references and everything plain to you all. So hope you will enjoy our conversation here on Mark chapter four, which we will get to in a minute. But first we wanna hear from uh, Scott Melson. One of the things that our members have been enjoying every week is hearing from someone new and about uh, how God has been at work in their life and bringing them to faith, but then other lessons they've learned. And Scott, you have an interesting story uh, growing up as a pastor's kid. Uh, you also spent some time in the military, went to seminary, um, uh, attempted pursuing church planting at one point. And so wanted to kind of just hear that from you. Uh, maybe just tell us first, uh, tell us about your testimony of coming to know the Lord and uh, what was what was that like for you? Sure. Well, thanks, Ben. And uh, happy Friday to everybody listening. <laughs> so as, uh, as it will you... be Wednesday when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> it will be Wednesday. So happy next Wednesday to everybody. Um, day. So, you know, you're halfway through next week. There you go. Uh, so it's Scott, um, and uh, as as most of you probably know, um, I'm the son of a pastor, and so a preacher's kid uh, growing up. So so far as my testimony, um, you know, some of my earliest memories are from uh, kind of wandering around church services as a as a toddler, uh, and just kind of seeing people standing up and staring up at the front singing. Um, uh, memories of kind of talking to the Lord, praying, I guess, uh, as it was, uh, as I understood it to be as a, as a young child. Um, there's no uh, Damascus Road moment in my life as far as I can remember. Um, I was conscious uh, of the Lord and His love for me uh, growing up, even as, a, as an early child, um, and, and just kind of calling out to the Lord. Um, you know, day to day, uh, never really ever questioned, um, I guess my relationship with Christ, at least at a, at least from, uh, from early on, um, not to say that I haven't had struggles at different points in life. Um, but, uh, just kind of assumed, well, the Lord is, is the Lord of everyone and, uh, he's the one that I need to believe in. And so very blessed, to uh, have grown up in a Christian household um, while I did grow up in a Christian household, uh, I kind of describe my background 
as a kind of a mixed uh, a mixed bag, a, a grab bag of theology. Uh, so a little bit of uh, charismatic, uh, not so much reformed at all. Um, so a lot of different things kind of mixed into one. And and growing up, while I knew that I I was supposed to and and wanted to read the Bible, I didn't realize that uh, there was uh, really um, anything such as a theologian that one would do more than maybe reading a chapter or two a day and. Uh, it never occurred to me that there were Christian books out there <laughs> that maybe I ought to read that would be helpful. Um, and so for pretty much, uh, I guess, 16 or 17 so, or so years, um, you know, I, I didn't ever really dig too deep into God's word. Uh, I loved the Lord and understood basic things about my faith uh, and about the Lord, but didn't do any really deep, deep dive. Um, my dad had quite a difficult time in ministry uh, and uh, during the midst of uh, a third church kind of imploding, uh, he was up late one night and I could tell that he had been stressed and, and struggling for quite some time and he was watching the Comedy Central. Uh, he was he was flipping around and landed on Comedy, Comedy Central for you know a couple seconds and there was a comedian making fun of the passage where it talks about the Lord numbering the hairs of our head and my dad turned the, the TV off after that and went into his study and sat down and looked at his, his shelves of books and began to think to himself, do I really believe in a God who's so meticulous and sovereign? And the answer to that question came to him was yes. And, uh, and so my dad handed me a, a book called uh, Reformed Doctrine of Predestination. Uh, I was not a good student up until seminary, so, <laughs> which is most of my educational career. I avoided reading at all costs, but my dad handed this book to me and I, it, the Lord used it to change my life. And so that was probably when I was a senior in high school. And um, that's when really the Lord started drawing me closer and closer to himself, especially uh, in regards to growing in my knowledge of him. Um, that kind of set me up for the military. Uh, that was a, a pretty big event. Um, I wasn't in very long, but um, it was something that I had wanted to do my whole life. Uh, and I, um, I ended up getting into the infantry and was training and uh, uh, was able to secure some spots for ranger training. So as some of you probably don't know, it's uh, special forces in the, in the United States Army. And that all came crashing to a, a pretty quick halt. Um, had some head injuries during during high school, <laughs> some severe head injuries, mm. um, and uh, it ended up causing some vision difficulties. And uh, so I was not over, and uh, it was not over by the time I was in the military, and that uh, ended up causing me to be uh, uh, discharged from the army because of those medical complications. So that was pretty uh, difficult. Um, Kind of went into several years of depression really there and kept trying to get back in and um you know it wasn't wasn't the lord's plan um but throughout that time had had a number of people kind of encouraged me to maybe consider ministry and so i helped out with some youth group and uh it was uh, one of the nights that i was giving a talk on isaiah 53 all i knew to do all I knew to do was really um, write down what I was going to say and then read it. And so here I am at this new Young Life group, and I'm I'm like reading pages of notes. And uh, mm. and somehow people didn't fall asleep. But as I was uh, 
I was basically just sticking to the word and, and trying to say what the word said. And, and these, I was seeing these kids be greatly impacted, not because of anything I said, but just seeing the, the impact of God's word on, uh, on the young, in the young kids there in the, the youth group. And, uh, and I just, uh, just kind of felt, oh, this must be what the Lord's calling me to do is, you know, I'd never wanted to be a pastor. It was kind of the last thing I ever wanted to do after kind of growing up in that setting and seeing the, uh, you know, seeing things that different, different things that happen in ministry. And, and so it was the, it was absolutely the last thing I ever wanted to do. And then I felt like I was calling me to that. So this is wonderful news. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then I, so you went to RTSDC here, graduated what, what year? Went to RTSDC. Um, so starting to suffer from memory loss. I think it was 2013, maybe when I graduated. Okay. So you graduated just <laughs> after I started, which was in 2012. Yep. Yep. And then you uh, pursued, a, um, attempted to pursue church planting, which took you up to New Jersey. Uh, New New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Yeah. Okay, one of yeah. the news. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you don't have to go into as much detail if, if you don't want to, but just what was that experience like for you and what did you learn from that? Yeah, so um, in my 20s, I kind of describe my 20s as, uh, as the time where things uh, started off really great and then... Uh, some of those really big things <laughs> that were kind of life defining at the time uh, started off great and then crashed and burned uh, in a flaming fire of uh, of, of destruction. So uh, the military was one of those, uh, and then the next step was um, was was attempting to do church planning and uh, without getting into the details of why different things didn't work out, um, it was a it was a really hurtful experience uh it was a very very difficult trying experience um it, it started off great it, it seemed like you know i was sensing that god was calling me to new england and i i know for the time that i was there that was how long i was supposed to be there <laughs> and so the lord did call me to new england for a short period of time um but everything kind of aligned to funding you know raising money went well which anybody who's tried to raise money or is in sales knows that that's <laughs> that's pretty difficult and the lord is just blessing and uh so all the doors were just opening up um much like they had for the military and uh and so i was thinking well this this has got to be what the lord's had for me and um and it was for for again the time that i was there but uh when i got up there things uh ended up not being as they had first appeared and were, and as I was expecting them to be so. Um, and so after four months, I, uh, I think I packed the Jeep Liberty with as much stuff as I could, because on my way back home, I could, I've never felt this before, but I felt the car almost tipping over, uh, <laughs> almost around every turn. Cause it was so packed. Uh, but basically made a beeline back to Maryland. And, and that was my, the end of church planning. And, uh, at least the attempt of full-time ministry at the time. So yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it's, it was, it was a pretty hurtful occasion. And yet I know that God was sovereign over all those things and all those years beforehand when the, uh, you know, the Lord had used that book, Lorraine Butner, Form Doctrine Predestination. God really used that book and a great understanding of his sovereignty uh, to help me through the military and through that church planning experience. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, one of the things I've really appreciated um, in the few years getting to know you, number one, is I've just been grateful for your friendship, and you've been very um, constantly pursuing me to for friendship and really appreciated that. But also, 
um, the strong faith that you have, like the more I find out about some of the, I guess another way to say it would be disappointments you've had, whether in the military and then with church planting and, and all of that, uh, yet your faith is strong and, um, firm and you, you know, following the Lord and, uh, have a strong faith that encourages me to do the same and just really appreciate, um, that about you. So, uh, now you're here family, um, and, uh, elder here at our church, uh, you're in, um, sales, which I don't know if you want to say what kind of sales and all of that. Uh, but I would just, maybe just one last question to wrap up here. Like what, if you could just say like one thing that the Lord is teaching you right now during the season of life, uh, what would that be? Uh, just God's love for me. Um, I think, uh, parents in general probably feel this way that, um, after every day they, they haven't met the, uh, expectations that perhaps they've set for themselves. <laughs> um, kids have a way of, of showing us our faults <coughs> and, uh, you know, our shortcomings. And so, uh, life is super busy for kids. Um, I didn't grow up with insurance action heroes. I'm in health insurance, uh, in sales for health insurance. So it's a double whammy, you know, uh, health insurance and then sales. So, uh, it's a lot of craziness. Um, and, uh, life is just at a, at a breakneck speed. And, uh, I always, I think I always set high expectations for myself and almost they're always unrealistic. Um, so I'm sure I'm not unique in that, uh, but just really realizing that I really can't really meet almost really any of those yeah. <laughs> and then life only seems to get busier. So, uh, just meditating, you know, God just drawing my mind, uh, and meditating on his love and his grace. Um, you know, how much he loves us and how much his grace is extended to us yeah. uh, is something that the Lord continues to expand my understanding and, and appreciation for, I think more and more. That's great. Well, thanks for sharing, Scott. Glad glad you're here today, and you'll be with us a few more times here on this podcast. So, always just appreciate um, spending good time with you. So, let's get into Mark chapter four. And uh, Mark chapter four is uh, the most concentrated um, passage of parables in the Gospel of Mark, um, and uh, Jesus speaks in parable like fashion elsewhere in the gospel of Mark, but nowhere do we find such a collected concentration of explicit parables as we do here in Mark chapter four. And it's uh, one of two real extended passages of Jesus's teaching in the gospel of Mark. So you get it here, then you get it again in the Olivet Discourse in chapter 13. And so uh, both those uh, characteristics here make Mark chapter four stand out uh, amidst some of what, uh, what we see going on in uh in mark and so uh you know just uh charlie and scott as i was reading these more this week and meditating on these parables here these parables are really about the kingdom of god uh you know just confession is i realize how little i've spent time uh, meditating on these and really how i mean jesus says as much that these are like if you don't understand this and how will you understand any of my other teaching <laughs> essentially at one point so uh, just realizing, man, I need to meditate on these more. And there's just a lot here to chew on and um, really press ourselves to believe about the kingdom and about his power. Uh, and so looking forward to getting into that. Uh, one other thing I'll just say about Mark chapter four, especially uh, verses one through 20 real quick. Uh, for those who have listened to chapter three, last week we talked about uh, this sandwich idea, which uh, is also sometimes called interpolation. 
Um, it's not unique to, to Mark, but Mark uses it a lot where he starts one thing, switches over to something else, then comes back to the first thing. And we see that again here um, in the teaching of the parable. So in verses one to 20, he starts the parable of the sower um, and he comes back to it again in verses 14 to 20. But then in the middle of the sandwich, we kind of get this him with the disciples explaining the parables to them. And so we kind of get this. It's a key to the parables there in verses 10 to 12 uh, that joins the, the sower and then his explanation of the sower in verses uh, 14 to 20. So keeping that in mind here, as we're looking at uh, chapter four and the parables, uh, Charlie and Scott, what do the parables tell us about the ministry of the word and how are Jesus's parables both instruction for those on the inside, but also judgment for those on the outside? So Charlie, we'll start with you. You're talking about all the parables or just the, this? Yeah, I mean, all, but specifically, you know, I'm specifically looking at chapter four here. Yeah, well, we'll get into, this is a tough passage. I mean, he's talking about how the parables are life and they're also death. They're, on the one hand, they're they're wonderful and um, they're going to edify and build up the saints. But for those that are on the outside, uh, this won't be the aroma of life. It would be the aroma of death, and they would miss it and only be able to perceive the the truth that's on a human level. But they wouldn't be able to catch the spiritual level unless they're born of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, the parables are really, um, you know, this aspect of a division that some are going to respond and some are not, and. It's interesting that this is really the Sermon on the Sea. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the Sermon on the Mount. Well, this is, he's on a boat because there's such a great crowd. Mm-hmm. And Jesus doesn't seem to be overly enamored or, or like, uh, he knows that a lot of these people that are listening are not going to bear fruit to maturity. And that's what he's talking about here. And that's, that's pretty sobering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, do you have anything to add to that? No, that was good. That was good. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think um, it's really, you know, even as I was working through this more in detail, uh, trying to really come up with a good, like all inclusive, neatly wrapped answer here on why does he, you know, why does he say that there will be outsiders who don't receive? And why does he explain things to the disciples that he doesn't explain to everyone, right? And you're just kind of, it's, uh, I thought, I thought Jesus came for everyone, right? And so those are like good questions to ask. And we don't, I mean, we have some good answers to that. We're going to get into some of that here, but um, it's not, those aren't easy questions to answer. And we can't always tie them up with a neat bow and know exactly what Jesus is doing, right? And that's, I think, part of the thing with the parables here is it's, it's obscure. It's unexpected, right? That's some of the metaphor here of the seed and the mustard seed, it doesn't operate in the way that we think it's going to operate. Um, and uh, so one one uh, commentator I read, though, I was, I was thinking about what is the difference between parables and allegory? And I thought one commentator answered that well, just uh, how Jesus uses the parable. Um, and this is what the commentator said. He said, an allegory can be understood from the outside, but parables can only be understood from within. By allowing oneself to be taken into the story and hearing who God is and what humans may become. 
Parables are like stained glass windows in a cathedral, dull and lifeless from the outside, but brilliant and radiant from within. Or to borrow an analogy from Jesus, they are like fishing. There is a hook hidden in the bait. The hook is the word of God, which is personified in Jesus. Parables cannot be understood apart from the one who tells them. Parables are not simply good advice. They are good news. For the life of Jesus itself is a parable, indeed the greatest of the parables. And I thought that was a really good uh, explanation of how important it is. If you really want to, want to understand the spiritual teaching of the parable, it's only going to under, be understood in communion with Christ, in life with him, believing that he is who he says he is. And only then will you really understand the deeper spiritual teaching in the parable. So I thought that was really, really helpful, uh, a really helpful explanation there. So let's um, get into the parable of the sower. So Jesus says, uh, uh, you know, I think in um, verse uh, 13 or 14, uh, he says, you know, when the disciples ask him what the parable means, he says, if you can't understand this one, how, how are you going to understand all the other parables? Mm-hmm. Right. So this seems like a very, at least in Mark, we could say this is this is the foundational parable. Like you're not going to understand the rest unless you understand the parable of the sower, which we said a minute ago is broken up. You have verses three to nine in the parable and then verses 14, you have the explanation so um, let's just start with this, and I'll start with you, Scott. What would you say is the main point of the parable of the sower? Sure. So uh, my theologian hat on here. The main point of the parable here would be to to take heed, to listen, uh, truly, truly, if you will. Um, the word of God needs to be uh, heard with care. Yeah, and you said you said there with the listen, take heed. You see that in verses three to nine, right? So, you, right. you know, he has the command to listen and then you have uh, the same verb, uh, akuo, at the end there in verse nine, um, which I'm assuming might be in a subjunctive <laughs> mood there, but let let him hear, right? Let him hear. Sure. Um, so we have hear and let him hear. Uh, so it's repeated command. But uh, Charlie, what, what would you say is the main point of the parable? I think... There's a lot here, but I think when we think about preaching and hearing the Word of God, we tend to pray more for the preacher. And if we understand Jesus correctly here, we would pray a lot more for the hearer. And because Jesus is saying uh, the sower is ultimately himself. Yeah. Uh, he is the sower. Ultimately, he uses his ministers and those they're his servants who are also sowing the seed, but ultimately the sower is Jesus. And then the seed is the word of God. And the seed isn't the problem. And the sower isn't the problem. The, the preacher isn't the problem. The word of God isn't the problem. The problem is the hearts of men. And he describes these different types of soils. And it's kind of a helpful for us to see, like, you know, the common ideas that a parable has, you know, figure out this one meaning of the parable and Jesus clearly has four you know he's saying okay there's four types of of hearts and it doesn't necessarily mean there's 25% 25% and 25% but he is warning quite soberly that some hearts are are stone and they won't they won't hear anything matter of fact it's stolen from them by the devil and then some hearts are very shallow and they're going to be very impulsive. And so in ministry, you're going to see people that will instantly shoot up like a rocket. And you think, wow, the sky is the limit. 
and they quickly fall away when persecution or tribulation comes. And then you have this really scary one of the strangled heart. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really more American Christians, whereas I think the other soils probably more in areas of persecution. But then the last one is the steadfast heart that he's getting at that bears fruit with maturity, with, or as the Luke account says, with good and noble hearts bears fruit to maturity. And it's really meant to be very sobering for us to really process, well, how, how am I hearing? Am I just a hearer only? Am I a doer of the word? Am I taking seriously the things that I'm hearing and taking Jesus seriously? Yeah, you know, um, agree with everything that's been said by both of you guys. I will say um, one thing that jumped out to me in my study of this parable in more detail is um, that I have almost always tended to focus on the different soils and not on the fact that seed is being sown and that there will be a harvest. Um, and so it kind of raises this question of, you know, um, I think, I think there is, I think Jesus is tying together two big ideas here, seed being sown and our response. But I think what I didn't see before is that God is the center of the action here, right? You know, Jesus is the sower. His word is the seed. And we have in verse eight, you know, um, this incredibly huge harvest, Right. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Like, that's not something that any, we're doing, right? That's that's the power of the word creating a harvest that will be reaped, you know? And then, then even, you know, Jesus begins his explanation in verse 14, the sower sows the word. And then he gets into the explanation of the soil. And so, you know, I guess just for me, it really, recall, you know, got whatever we say about the soil, which is important and all of that really realign my focus again to still see God is the center of the action here. Uh, the seed is being sown and um, it's growing in ways and in places that we don't always expect, might not understand, um, you know, and so, and so on. So that was just like a good reminder for me not to primarily think of the application maybe of the parable, but really what's at the center, which is Christ and his word and the seed. And we tend to be pretty negative on the parable of the sower, and that's more of the the positive of 30, 60, 90. You kind of see these different threes throughout the Luke or throughout this chapter of Mark 4, where you have the 30, 60, 100 fold, you have the three soils that, mm-hmm. that don't bear fruit, and then we're going to get to the um, parable of the, the uh, growing seed. And you have first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain. Mm. So you kind of see these threes. Um, but these last two, we'll come back to the what you're saying, because I actually think this chapter is actually very encouraging mm. for ministers. Mm-hmm. But we need to be patient. Yeah. But I'll come, we'll come back to that. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, so in verses 14 to 20, and Charlie, you kind of already talked about this. I'd be curious to hear Scott's thoughts as well. Just the different ways that mishearing the word of God is not um, the right way to say it, but the different reception, kinds of reception that our hearts can have. What are the different hearts? You know, Charlie kind of communicated that a minute ago. So what do we see here? What is Jesus telling us about the different ways 
that we can receive the word of God? And what are the outside maybe pressures that could strangle that? Um, Scott, what do you think? Yeah, sure. So uh, obviously there's a, um, a great responsibility that's laid on the hearers and uh, how they, what is, what is their attitude towards the hearing and receiving of the seed, which is the word that's being sown? Um, what importance do they, they place on it? Uh, how do they see it affect their lives? Uh, is it something that just uh, might be helpful and useful in different occasions? Or is this something that is dealing with their very, um, you know, their, their life and death? Are these life and death matters? Is, is this going to affect um, eternally uh, where I will spend eternity? Um, and so, uh, obviously, you see a lot of the outside uh, forces that come in. Um, the seed was not truly uh, appropriated and believed on. Uh, it was never really taken hold of by faith. Uh, and so, the hearers, there was not a sincere receiving of what was what was being spoken. Uh, and and really, what is shown. Uh, the insincerity is basically revealed by the different things that uh, come into play in the in the life of the one that has received uh, mm-hmm. the seed sown, uh, and it's shown whether or not uh, the seed had primary importance, the word and the truth that was heard, or uh, the outside uh, factors on their life, uh, the cares of this world, the tribulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, is my believing this word more important than my being? Uh, you know, having suffering the loss of all things mm-hmm. uh, is my believing the word more important than uh, you know having stuff yeah. uh, and having a full schedule. And so, um, yeah, yeah. And to that last your last comments there, you know, particularly in the um, the uh, where he talks about the, the the soil of the rocky ground. It's those who they immediately received it with joy. But then uh, when tribulation and persecution came, they couldn't endure it, right? And then you kind of have a similar idea with those sown among thorns. Like there might have been some initial growth, but eventually the cares of this world, the desires of the world choked it out. And so it's kind of this, it's not even necessarily the initial reception of the word, but how does the, is there a continued endurance, uh, a continued growth of that seed that's been implanted in us? So really these are, you know, this parable is a it's applicable to both those who are outside the kingdom and need to come in and receiving, but also Christians as we continue to meditate on are we growing? We need to come back and you know are we rocky soil? Are we in the midst of thorns? And um, I think those are you know really I I think about that a lot, especially as a minister. You know you read stories about ministers falling away and getting into scandal and all of that, and that's very alarming for me. And there's no, I mean, there's no extra cushion that we are ministers that <laughs> there's no extra reason for us to endure or anything like that. And, uh, one character of scripture that haunts me is, uh, Demas in second Timothy four. I, I may have mentioned him probably if not in this podcast, uh, elsewhere in my teaching, but you know, it says that he left the ministry because of his love of the world, right? He left ministry because of this love of this present world. And, you know, you would, say he was at least the rocky soil, if not among the thorns. And so it's just a good, again, as I was doing on this, I was like, man, I don't, I don't meditate on this enough. I really don't. 
And to, to echo on that, um, you know, as I was looking at this parable, uh, it just so happened that I had read Mark 4, I think, uh, a week or two ago. And then, of course, reading it, trying to read it again for this podcast. And, um, you know, I I, I kind of got to the, the thorns, uh, the, the seed on the thorns, and I, I slowed down like I've never slowed down before on that, on that yeah. passage. And I... Uh, and I thought, you know, I just, my life is so busy right now. And I just thought, man, the cares of life. Yeah. Um, and I, I see being stretched, um, you know, being stretched in so many dip, different directions. And, you know, I, I start to kind of look at different things um, in my life as it relates to job, um, different maybe mile markers that maybe I'm trying to reach or just different things that need to happen uh, given kind of where our life is headed right now with everything and as a family. And I just kind of saw, uh, just was able to identify different things that I kind of felt like were beginning to derail, um, you know, my love for Christ in a way that it shouldn't, uh, mm-hmm. and maybe become, become more important than those kinds of, than those things should. And, and so I thought, wow, you know, like this is, you know, as you said, Ben, it's not something that you you're, I, I'm clearly good soil, so I'm good. Like right. from now until I die, I, I've identified myself as good soil. Like that's, that's not what it is. It's yeah. every day. It, the Lord didn't, didn't ask us with faith that, did you believe once at one time? Did you mm. pray a prayer at one time? It's always, who do you say that I am? Mm. And, and this parable is something that we can apply to ourselves and really ask the Lord to, to sift us with and yeah. Yeah. help us to, to, to beware and to make sure that we're hearing with ears of faith, eyes of faith. Yeah. I don't think we see busyness as dangerous or, or as much of a trial as persecution. We say, oh man, we need to really pray for these people. They're under persecution, mm-hmm. you know, but they're, they're praying for us, man. They're so busy, you know, they're, they're yeah. distracted and, and Jesus is bringing out, you know, all these things here and we really see you know our threefold battle is the world the flesh and the devil and you really see all three in this Mm -hmm. in this the the devil stealing the word we see the flesh doesn't respond well to persecution immediately receives it with joy but immediately falls away man i can't can't handle that and then you see the 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 worldliness of uh you know here comes all these things, and it's the desire for other things. Mm-hmm. And I just wrote down worries, worldliness, and wishes. Mm-hmm. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And we can get distracted, mm-hmm. and it chokes out the word. Mm-hmm. I also think, too, that this 30, 60, and 100-fold, we have to be content with who we are. Mm-hmm. Like, I love LeBron James's quote. I wonder if you saw it, that basically they asked him what the key to his success right now was that Antonio Davis is clearly the spotlight. And he said, the key for me is no jealousy Mm. and that he's feeding Antonio Davis and they're just dominating. But it's really Antonio Davis that's really scoring more points and all that. And instead of being like jealous about that, Mm. he just said no jealousy. And so for us, we have to recognize some of us are, are given one talent, some two, some five and some 10. There's very few 100 talent people, you know, these unicorns like Tim Keller. We have to be content with the talents that he's given us and be thankful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's come back, uh, circling back to verses 10 to 12, which um, G- 
Jesus sort of gives the explanation. Well, he does give the explanation of the purpose of the parables here. Um, and this sort of, it looks like it must be like a flash forward, right? Because uh, Jesus is telling these parables on the boat and we get to the end of the chapter and there's, you know, he's still on the boat. Um, but we kind of get this uh, in verse 10. And when, and when he was alone, right? Those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. So it's almost like this flash forward maybe or interjected. And he said to them, to, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. And then he quotes from, I think it's Isaiah 6. Uh, is it Isaiah 6? Yeah. Uh, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And so we really just get this polarizing effect of the parables. You have You continue this theme of insiders and outsiders, which we've seen here in the gospel of mark and so maybe just uh a few few questions for both you guys number one what is we have a few questions for you too (laughs) what is the secret of the kingdom that he's talking about here and then what are the two groups of people and what characterizes each of them so number one what is the secret of the kingdom number two what are the two groups of people jesus is getting at here and what characterizes each of them and so uh charlie do you want to start uh, what is the secret of the kingdom do you think that Jesus is getting at? That's a good question. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking like we learn in seminary, okay, Jesus has an original hearing audience. And then he also has an original reading audience and how those are two different things and how in this passage you clearly see that the scroll is rolled back and the listening audience doesn't get something that the original reading audience is going to get. So the original readers of this very story would have gotten the secret that the original hearing audience didn't get. So when Jesus first tells this from the boat, and he's telling all these people, it just is odd to me. Okay, how come they didn't get the explanation, but the original uh, reading audience did? That to me, that's my question for you, Ben, is like, how do you explain that? That to me is like a bit puzzling. Like, And it's just kind of the mystery of the kingdom that some, Jesus opens the door wide for some groups. In other places, the door is shut, and he doesn't go to the, some of these places, Tyre and Sidon, and it's just hard to explain that. It is. And, uh, you know, that's a great question about original audience and, and even, you know, the, the 12, right? Did the 12 understand the secret of the mystery of uh, the kingdom here? Um, I don't know. I, I guess I would say uh, the way Mark puts them in between, you know, the parable of the sower and the explanation of the parable of the sower, it must have something to do here with the seed coming, the seed being sown, the, the kingdom coming. And that is a secret, you know, um, that's another theme in, in Mark is, you know, uh, the secret, um, what do we call it? Um, but Jesus telling others to keep his identity secret until the proper time. And, uh, and so it seems to me that the secret of the kingdom is simply that it's not coming in a way that we expect, right? And it's not coming in power and victory right now, um, and we see, you know, we see that in Jesus Christ, in Jesus of Nazareth, in, in his words, in his mission, in his works. Um, you know, this incarnate word of God was not obvious to everybody and it still is not obvious. And it's only by faith that recognizes Jesus as the son of God 
and it's unbelief that recognizes him by something else entirely. And um, so I would say that, you know, the seeker of the kingdom is really Jesus and how he's bringing in his kingdom through the sowing of his, through his word. I don't know if Scott, if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to say is um, maybe I'll read another commentary that, of someone <laughs> that I really respect and they'll change my mind. But as I look at, as I look at it right now, um, yeah, it seems to be that perhaps the secret of the kingdom is 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 God in the flesh. It's the Son of God come, and He's He He is the King. And uh, like you had said, you know, the Jews uh, and even still today think that they have this conception of how it's supposed to happen, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and yet here is the Lord of Glory sitting in a boat, mm-hmm. and He's causing his kingdom to expand and he mm-hmm. is uh, he is the secret the mystery mystery of godliness revealed um and so that's um it would seem to me that that would perhaps be what the secret of the kingdom of god is it's it's mm-hmm. the lord of glory the word of god that gives light unto the world um and so they the disciples it's funny because they keep disbelieving who he is right. <laughs> and then disbelieve who he is at the end of the chapter. Right. Exactly. But they know the secret, but then right. they keep forgetting it. <laughs> exactly. And I think we see, you know, obviously it's kind of Mark is making a point here by putting in the parable of the sower. We see the same idea coming back more explicitly, I think, with the mustard seed, the littlest of the seeds, you know, at the time that they regard the littlest of the seeds becomes this large life-giving tree that hides the birds and the animals and it's you know and gives shade to everything else and it becomes this big all-encompassing of course kingdom um but it it started in an obscure and unexpected way uh and i think that would be you know the secret the mystery of the kingdom is that it's this unexpected obscure carpenter from nazareth with this word that just does not make sense does not make sense and there's a great promise there that this little seed Mm -hmm. this little mustard seed of which jesus came is going to just grow and grow and grow and and this gospel is going to be spread to every tribe tongue nation and people Mm -hmm. and you know we're told in these wonderful promises like psalm 22 that all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the lord and these great messianic psalms often end with these incredible promises and that's what i was just saying for us that when james says in james 5 therefore be patient brethren until the coming of the lord see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain you also be patient establish your hearts for the coming of the lord is at hand. And we're just told three times there, you know, therefore be patient. You also be patient, waiting patiently that it doesn't come on our timetable. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we'll come back to the parable of the growing seed, but it's one of my favorites. We'll get into that in a minute. Same idea. Peter, um, and again, you just wonder if this is some of Peter's influence. I, I don't know. Well, of course it's all Peter's influence in some, probably some degree, but um, Peter gets at this in, in second Peter, at the end uh, in chapter three, you know, and there, there will be scoffers. And then he says in verse four, uh, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? And like, where is it? And to which we kind of say, it's hidden. It's a seed. It's still growing. It's still germinating. It's still being spread. 
but but we know that the the harvest is coming, right? Like that is what we have with certainty, and we see that here uh, in these parables. Uh, either of you guys have anything to add about um, kind of the insider outsider motif in Mark? How do we maybe see that in these couple verses? I think we've I think we've kind of hit on that yeah. already. Yeah, I um, I I do think one more thing I wanted to add is um, going to verse twenty when um, he ends this explanation of the parable of the sower, he says those, maybe this is kind of your, um, in your threes here, verse 20, they were sown on the good soil, they're ones who, who hear, accept, and bear fruit. All right? There are those who will hear, accept, and bear fruit, which perhaps we could say is, at least in this setting, Mark's definition of faith. Right? They will hear, accept, and bear fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there are those um, who do not, who do not respond and in the immediate context of Mark chapter 4, we just came off of Mark chapter 2 and 3, where we saw not just outright opposition, but those who that we thought should be on the inside are actually on the outside, right? His family, the ones who are close to him, who should have an advantage are actually still on the outside. And so that's kind of like the immediate context here. And then we get an explanation almost in parable fashion of what we've seen in chapters 2 and 3. So. Let's do a rapid fire here in uh, the next few verses. We have four parables, right? So we have, well, some, I guess some people might say three. I, I see it as four. Uh, lamp under a basket uh, in verses 21 to 23. And then the measures, which uh, some people kind of group with lamp under a basket. Uh, measures is 24 to 25. Then you have the seed growing in 26 to 29. And then you have the parable of the mustard seed in 30 to 32. So let's just sort of take each one of these. And I'll just... Each of you guys can chime in if you'd like, but uh, what do we learn about the kingdom of God from each of these parables? So lamp under a basket, which you guys wants to take that one? I'll do that one because the next one's harder. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's the same idea that Jesus gives in Matthew 5 and that uh, this can't remain hidden Mm -hmm. and you got to put it out. You You don't take a lamp and hide it and expect there to be light in the room so um you know these things nothing is hidden except it's going to be made manifest and um so it's really kind of scary once again that that, boy this kingdom's coming and the lights are going to come on and they're coming on now and so these things can't remain hidden so it's going to be futile to remain in the darkness get in the light Mm -hmm. the light is coming now and we his servants are to keep turning on the lights Scott, how about the measures? Sure. So I um, was reading Spurgeon on this. He's always uh, good to good to read, and uh, he was kind of likening this to the the talents um, and all, but also expectation and one's hearing. And uh, so um, he had talked about how uh, what is the expectation of the hearer when they come to the word? Is there a an earnest desire to learn and to receive God's word, to come to a greater knowledge of the Lord and, and that, that that might be met with God's blessing. Uh, but if one sits under the word and receives uh, the word with uh, just kind of indifference, uh, unbelief that, uh, that that truth that is even spoken to them uh, will fade away and uh, he, he came with nothing, he'll leave with nothing kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that last comment you made there, I, I didn't think about this until now, but those who, yeah, receive the word, which is what he ends here, um, you know, and from one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Um, thinking of our covenant children, 
right? And those who grow up in the household of faith, you know, that's not enough, right? It's not enough to simply grow up in the Christian household and to go to church every day and hear preaching, but you have to receive it and lay it up in your heart and make it your own and bear fruit. And uh, it's just a good, um, sobering word, I think, there. That it's not enough to hear, not enough to come to church, you know, not enough to participate, um, but to lay it up in your heart and um, make it our own. So, uh, Charlie, did you, which one was your favorite? Was it the seed growing or the mustard seed? Which one did you say? Uh, the seed growing. All right, you take that one and I'll, I'll hit the mustard seed at the end. So why don't you tell us about the seed growing and why that's encouraging? Well, it, a couple of things. One is like, I mean, everything seems to be so formulaic, formulaic in our culture, even, you know, if you're going to be a church planner, here's the, here's the things you need to do. And you just do these certain steps and these things will happen. And so often I've heard from church planners that we did everything that they said we were going to do and none of that worked, but here's what worked. And God came and did this. And often with our children, we're thinking, okay, we're A plus B is supposed to equal C. You know, my faithful parenting plus faithful praying is going to produce a Christian. And A plus B often doesn't equal C. And what we learn from this parable is a couple wonderful things. First of all, he says he does not know how. You know, he he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. It's a mystery. So first of all, the kingdom's mysterious. Second is even better. The earth produces by itself. This interesting word is where we get the word in our English language, automatic. And it only occurs one other place in the New Testament. It's in Acts 12.10 when the church is praying for the release of Peter and the angel comes and releases Peter and he goes through this, 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 and then he gets to the gates and it says the gates opened by itself. Same word. It's just a miracle that happened as people are praying. So it's mysterious, it's miraculous, and then we see that it's there's a maturation process. It's methodical. First, don't expect this incredible overnight, bam. I mean, you, you can't see your tomatoes grow if you're looking at them every day. You But you look at them all of a sudden a month later, and you're like, wow, look at the growth. Mm-hmm. What he's telling us is that there is a process and that we are going to mature if we're his. Mm-hmm. And we are going to produce fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good word and a good reminder there at the end. And for anyone listening who maybe struggles with uh, assurance or um, just struggling um, to see if to know if they've really they're really growing in the Christian life, what I always encourage followers of Jesus to keep in mind is not to measure their their growth in days or even in weeks, but I, I encourage measure your growth in the faith in months and in years because it is it is slow and it's not uh, quick. And these things that we might want our character to change or addictions or so on, like it might not be like for some people it is, but the kingdom of God, you know, breaking into our lives could operate much more like the tomato plant yeah. right? where you don't, you can't look at it one day and see it growing, but over time. Amen. Can I throw in a Spurgeon gem here? Yes. He says this on this parable. You can have no finger in the actual process, though you may produce, promote the conditions under which it is produced. Life is a mystery. Growth is a mystery. Ripening is a mystery. And these three mysteries are as fountains sealed against all intrusion. Hmm. That's good. Um, 
real quick, let's hit the mustard seed and I'll just uh, finish these out here. So I think what we see in the mustard seed is that, as we've been saying, um, the kingdom of God rises out of obscurity and what seems like insignificance. Uh, we see that in the person of Jesus and we see that in his in his word, in his message. Um, it's something that n- no one could have imagined. No one could have conjured up on their own. Uh, and it comes from a place that we might even think is impossible. And yet someday it will become what we never could have expected. Right. And so we have this mustard seed again that grows up into this large tree that uh, gives shade and provides shelter for all the birds. And so God's God's kingdom is not only more real than we can possibly imagine, but it's also larger and more encompassing than probably anything we could have expected or created ourselves. Um, and that's, you know, one thing about kind of the historicity of Jesus is you can't conjure this stuff up. <laughs> you can't conjure up <laughs> Jesus, his character, how he interacted with people, his teaching. Like, good good luck. You, you can't do that <laughs> because it's so unexpected. It's so obscure. It's, you know, um, everything would tell you from outward appearances and from the culture at this time that this would be nothing to expect anything from. And yet it becomes the most powerful transformative force in the history of the world. Right. Um, really history hinges on, um, on Jesus. And so, um, yeah, just really powerful. So let's uh, get to the end of the chapter here um, where we have Jesus calming the storm, muzzling the storm. Even um, this will be, it's, sort of ending what we see here with the parables. It's also beginning, we'll get into this in chapter five, it's beginning three miracle narratives. So uh, we have a, a demon exorcism in chapter five, as well as, uh, um, well, I guess it's four, because then you have uh, Jairus's daughter, as well as the woman with the hemorrhage. So it's starting here with um, the storm. One thing I wanted to say maybe before we get into questions was um, kind of, a note that I, I was reading on the historicity, you know, it's a good reminder for us to think about the historicity of uh, this account, the historicity of the Gospels. Uh, some of you may have heard the name Richard Bauckham in his uh, book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, talking about the historicity of the Gospels and the New Testament letters. And one of the things that he says here is we have to distinguish between uh, modern fiction writers and l- writers of legend from, from ancient times. And so fiction writers today often add insignificant detail to make it sound more real. But writers of legend didn't do that, right? It was big picture stuff, but you didn't get small details. And so, you know, you come to a a story like this in the Gospel of Mark uh, with Jesus muzzling the sea and the the wind, you might have a hard time explaining that uh, simply by um, Jesus is just a man. This becomes a legend uh, about him. Uh, simply because of the details that Mark includes here, right? There's um, there's details about boats and being on a cushion um, and so on. And so the question is, if this was merely legend, why would Mark, uh, at the time, he would have had no reason to include some of these small, uh, insignificant details. And so one scholar said here about this story that this, this story only makes sense if you see it as genuine reminiscence of what actually happened. And of course, Mark is getting this story from Peter. Um, so 
This real event, Jesus muzzled the storm. A um, couple questions here for you guys. Uh, what does this account maybe verify? Thinking here about the power of his word. How does this account verify everything that we've just studied in the parables about sowing the word in the kingdom? That's number one. How does this account verify maybe everything that we just saw? And number two, and perhaps more importantly, what does this account tell us about who Jesus is and what it means for us to trust him? So, Scott, let's just start with you with that first question, maybe. How does this account verify what we just heard about the kingdom and the word and in the parables? So uh, you had mentioned um, how you in the past kind of looked at this and maybe focused more on the soils, as I think most of us probably tend to. Uh, but then realizing that, you know, really focus ought to be also on God's power. Mm-hmm. And we see that obviously in parable, uh, the parable of the seed growing and the mustard seed. Well, that's clearly God causing something to happen there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the clear focus. And so here we see Christ um, speaking and giving commands to the elements. Yeah. <laughs> and so we see the power of the word of God uh, and how it has effect when it goes forth. And so that shows how the seed being spread and how it produces, uh, you know, fruit. It produces, um, you know, it, there there's an outcome uh, that that occurs. Um, so obviously, with those who receive it by faith, there's uh, an increase of of fruit and growth and production in their lives. Again, that's all of God's grace and power that comes through the spoken word. Uh, and it's the word working in us, but there's also the effect in those who are unbelieving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there is a hardening and a turning away, mm. um, and there's a judgment that goes forth. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I was kind of reading this um, right before I came here, and I was just thinking, man, you know, like uh, this is telling me that apart from God's grace, uh, we are all dumber than rocks because the elements know to fear. And respond to the word of the Lord. And yet we're told in the parable of the sower that there are many who will not receive the word or who will receive it for a time and count it of no value. And yet the Lord of all creation rebukes the waves and the sea. We're told throughout the Bible how the the whole earth and the heavens tremble at the voice of God. And yet we're told of people not receiving and obeying God's word. Mm-hmm. And so this, mm-hmm. I think, and probably today, maybe for the first time, I really saw this this account of Jesus calming the storm in relationship to the sower, of how we see God, we see creation responding and obeying Christ. Mm-hmm. And and then just understand under you know, realizing that and looking looking back at the the sower, mm-hmm. that is to be the response of everybody that receives the word, that receives the seed. Mm. If creation trembles, if the elements quake mm-hmm. at the sound of the Lord, how much more yeah. <laughs> should his creation, his people made in his image, receive and obey? Yeah. Um, so true. that was pretty uh, powerful as I, I was reading earlier. And That's good. For the first time, made yeah. that connection. <laughs> that, that was really good. That was really powerful to hear you explain that. And, um, One more thing I'll just add on that as well is the command that Jesus gives to the storm is so simple. There's no incantation. There's no preparation rolling up his sleeves, getting ready to go. He spoke and it simply was. And 
you see that I think in much of his, it's very plain. His, his, his message is often is very plain. It's very simple. He was very simple, right? Not extravagant. Um, you know, he, he simply was like he was, <laughs> you know, and, um, and so I think, uh, again, yet it's verifying going back to his word. Like it's not high and lofty. It's not only for the educated and the learned, um, but it's simple and it requires being lowly in heart and humbling ourselves to receive such a simple truth um, that it's by faith that we enter into his, into his mm-hmm. kingdom. So, um, Charlie, what about, uh, you know, moving on then, what do we learn here about who Jesus is? Yeah, I mean, I love looking at this passage as to following the disciples' fear. They're really afraid of this storm, and they think they're going to die. And after the storm is calmed, it says, literally, we have phobeo, phobos, megos. We go from phobia, phobia, to it's basically noun, verb, adjective. And literally, it's they feared a great fear. And it's a double, so now they're doubly afraid with a mega. And they're so much more terrified after the storm because they realize who is in the boat with them. Mm -hmm. And so I've been, you know, saying all along, I've been reading these chapters, looking at the questions and entertaining the answers. And so this, there's a couple of questions here, right? So our question that we often ask is, don't you care, Lord? Don't you care? I mean, even you read this parable, you're like, Lord, don't you care? Like, we can't do anything. We are powerless to to even hear this word. And don't you care? And the Lord of the universe is able to say, well, why did you doubt? You know, I've, I've got you. You're in the boat with me. I'm going to save you. And then it ends with this great question. Well, then, who then is this? Mm-hmm. That even the winds and the waves, they obey him. So it's telling us that Jesus is Lord mm-hmm. of the universe. Yeah. He is the one who created um, the seas and the waves and the winds, mm. and they obey him. And, uh, man, what a terrifying thought to all of a sudden realize, <laughs> you know, this is God in the boat with me. Um, you know, if they hadn't realized it yet, which clearly they were still getting it. But, yeah, ending with this question, this great question of, Again, like who do we who do we say that he is? And what Mark is pressing us to say is that he is the Christ, the Son of God. All right, that's what Mark is trying to impress upon us here in his gospel. And um, so that really leaves us with you know one of two options. Um, we can go on continuing to explain the world and our life through some other means by accident, through blind chance, or so on, or we can accept what Jesus said, demonstrate in this historic account, receive the seed that is being sown. Um, and if he is the Lord of the storm, then no matter who we are, right? No matter where we're from, what our present circumstances may be, he is the one with the power and he's the one who's safe for us to turn to. Many uh, commentators and so on would see a connection here um, in this this account with Jonah, the story of Jonah um, and the big difference between, you know, you have Jonah going down into the boat Jesus goes down to the boat and so on. You have the great storm. Jonah has the great storm. But the big difference being um, that with Jonah, he's thrown overboard and God stops the storm. And here he simply speaks and the storm stops. Um, right. And so that's the big 
difference here between Jesus and, um, and, and Jonah, but then elsewhere, Jesus says that like Jonah being three days in the belly of the whale, he will, uh, for three days be in the grave, right? For our sake. So we have this connection here with Jonah. Um, another big picture question, question to wrap us up here. So ending this section on the parables, we're not really going to get to parables again in Mark. Um, so using us as a chance to reflect on parables in Christian ministry today, uh, we find that in Jesus's parables that he wanted to make the teaching relatable, plain and intelligible, even to the uneducated class. And because of the common images and metaphors that he used, uh, his parables, you can still understand them today, right? We can still understand what he was saying uh, even today, 2000 years later. And yet at the same time, he knew that the, par- the parables would confuse and repel those who did not have ears to hear. And so what do we, you know, uh, what do we learn here in Jesus' teaching on parables? What can we learn for Christian teaching today? And whether that's Sunday school teaching, you know, teaching from the pulpit, or just when we're trying to explain Christianity to our friends and family, what takeaways can we have here about our own teaching from Jesus's use of parables. Scott, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So maybe one thing that comes to mind, um, you know, uh, I'm always somebody that likes to prepare for things. Uh, again, like I said earlier, I always set expectations too high, but that, that also can be really sinful because that might prevent me from doing things that I ought to do Mm. Uh, in regards to just sharing and teaching, especially with just, uh, in relationship to unbelievers. Um, it doesn't have to be, this lofty pre-planned speech. Um, and then if I don't have that, well, then I can't, I can't speak to this person because I'm not prepared beforehand and it's not, you know, I'm not going to hit like a four pointer, uh, discussion here. And, and so here Jesus is, he just, he's speaking in these, these common day stories to people. Yeah. Very simple. Like we've said several times, Jesus is, was a simple man of, you know, no great consequence uh, by worldly standards. And, so as we speak to others, you know, we can be very simple and and use simple language. It doesn't everything doesn't have to be perfect in its delivery. Um, and the, it's again, it's not for us. We aren't the sower big S. <laughs> We're just to, to sow the seed and speak the word. And it's the Lord who will use that which is spoken um, in the individual's life to him. It's you know, it's, it's being spoken to. And so we can, we can be okay with being simplistic with people and telling stories to try to convey mm-hmm. the great truth of God to people. Sometimes it can be, you know, that last point about sharing stories. Sometimes it can be, um, harder to, to find those stories to relate to the teaching to the people than it is like to understand the, the theology, right? And I think that does kind of show if we're unable to relate this by story, like a simple story, then maybe we haven't grasped it as well as we think we have. Um, I remember when I was going through ordination and I had a question on union with Christ, uh, teaching the doctrine of union with Christ to others. Uh, Bill Fullalove, who's one of the pastors at McLean Presbyterian Church, I now serve on this committee with him, but he looked at me and he asked me, what would be um, a metaphor that you would use? to teach union with Christ. And I couldn't come up with one. I'm not really quite sure off the top of my head. And he said, I was ready to teach it. <laughs> he was just very like, it, I mean, it was loving and anybody, it was right. Like 
if you can't if you can't illustrate this for me, you're not ready to teach it. Um, another I, I saw another uh, question uh, thing on Twitter recently. I think it was Jonathan Lehman was sharing a story about another pastor who I, I think at like a evening service or something the pastor asked the congregation, "Are there any men here who would like to lead the evening devotional?" And a whole bunch of guys in the room shot up their hand, right? And he said, okay, now how many of you are teaching in the children's ministry? And all the hands went back down. And the point was like, if you can't make this teaching plain to children, I'm not, I'm not sure if I trust you to come up here and try and make it plain to everybody else. And uh, anyways, yes, making it simple. Can we make it simple for people to understand? Charlie, what do you think? I think it's good. And I also think we should really think Jesus's stories are still being told, and in some ways they were illustrations, and Spurgeon described illustrations as windows for the house. You don't want a house to be full of windows, but you need windows to let the light in, and so we should illustrate when we're teaching. We should try to use examples and stories and try to think, you know, Jesus. Jesus's were, were perfect. I mean, they, they were so relatable, and his stories, I mean, the prodigal son story is considered one of the best short stories ever ever written or ever told and um so we should give heart and thought and prayer to that however at the same time i used to think like you know if it's up to me to deliver this and to convert people and it's ultimately the lord's and i've even been convicted of like raising my voice Mm. you know like thinking that if i just raise my voice at this part then i can really create the effect of like really making this you know, really sink into the hearts of people. And I convicted, like, you're trying to manufacture something here that only the Lord can produce. You don't need to, you know, and sometimes we can be too, too polished. Um, so we do have to, back to what you're saying, you know, ultimately we just, we are his servants, we do our best, but we trust the Lord with results. And sometimes we can adequately prepare and really prepare and other times we have to be ready on the fly to just okay lord i'm going to trust you to as i'm planting a seed here to use it mm-hmm. yeah all good thoughts um a couple of closing things uh, i was reminded one of my you know one of those quotes on preaching that has stuck with me i don't even remember where i first discovered it uh but it's a luther quote martin luther and, and he said this um he said Cursed are all preachers that in the church aim at high and hard things, and neglecting the saving health of the poor, unlearned people, seek their own honor and praise, and therefore try to please one or two great persons. When I preach, <laughs> I sink myself deep down. I think that's a good, like, I, I've tried to get myself in that mind space, you know, before. What does it look like for me to sink myself deep down uh, and not stay up, you know, up here? I was also thinking about. Um, another passage that came to mind is what the Apostle Paul says about the worship service in 1 Corinthians 14. Now there he's talking about speaking in tongues, but we would largely say that his principle there sort of is a bigger principle than just tongues. Or he, he says, you know, in, uh, what is it? Uh, verse 23, he says, if everyone is speaking in tongues and outsiders enter, won't they all think that you're out of your minds? And I think sometimes Christian teaching can be a tongue unto itself. Uh, where we just are speaking these big words and all of that, and it's not coming down, right, as as Luther says, into the lives and the hearts of the people um, who who receive it. And so that's just a good reminder for all of us, whether we're preachers or whether we're um, parents or whether we're friends with non-Christians, is really trying to make 
the teaching relatable. And maybe one last comment um, that I've been thinking about lately is really being able to distinguish, uh, are we preaching the church to the culture or are we preaching the culture to the church? And that can be a really um, important distinction. You see Jesus through the means and the context of the culture preaches the kingdom to the culture, right? Um, And so even for us, like just because we can quote non-Christians or talk about postmodernism or whatever doesn't mean that we are making the teaching, the Christian teaching plain to the culture. It might just mean we're just talking about the culture, right? And so that's a good reminder for us as well. So, uh, well, I hope you all enjoyed this um, going in detail here on Mark chapter four. I know we maybe went a little long, but really enjoyed this conversation. Hope you enjoy it as well. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd just appreciate if you would share it, uh, would maybe rate it if you're using Apple Podcasts so others can find this. And uh, we're enjoying doing these. So uh, tune in again next week uh, as we continue with Mark chapter five. And what I think is one of the really beautiful chapters of the Gospels um, there. So tune in with us again next week. And we look forward to uh, forward to talking with you then. All right. Take care, everybody.